Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speak. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to their day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and hostile children, and you shall say to them, God says the Lord God. After them, whether they listen or not, they are rebellious house, they will know the plot has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. Both thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now, this isn't the last time God's going to say that to Ezekiel. But wow, this is really significant. And we need to really get an understanding of what God's telling Ezekiel about his mission. So he says to him, Son of man, stand on your feet. Now, Son of man is what he calls Ezekiel. I think 93 times, I didn't count them, but in the book... It's calls Ezekiel, son of man. Uh, I believe uh, only 14 times in the whole rest of the Old Testament is son of man used. So, son of man is what he, what, he's, what he uses to describe him. Why son of man? What does that emphasize about Ezekiel? His humanity. He is a man. Now, we're used to thinking of Son of Man as Jesus. And so if we're not careful, we, we kind of short-circuit and we think, oh, this is saying he's like Jesus. Well, when we call Jesus Son of Man, why, why did Jesus seem to call himself Son of Man a lot? Because that was the really significant thing about what had happened to Jesus when he came to earth. He'd always been deity. He'd always been God. But he suddenly appeared here as the son of man, as a human. Now, do you hardly ever hear anybody else call Jesus son of man in the New Testament? Almost always it's Jesus calls himself that. We don't stress his humanness. But Jesus did. When he came down, he became a human person. Now, I think here, when God calls Ezekiel, son of man, he's really contrasting what we just saw, the majesty and glory of God, with the frailty and weakness and humanness of Ezekiel. He's just a son of man. He probably ought to remember that. You know, there is no options given to humans when God speaks. If you understand who God is, whatever he says goes. Um, so that, that's what you see. Uh, so God says, stand on your feet. You know, when God stand, says stand up, you stand up. Now, the only thing is, God, he needed a little help. So the spirit entered him and set him on his feet. I'm assuming this is the same spirit that was uh, in the, 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 the living creatures and in the wheels. That the Spirit is directing Ezekiel and empowering Ezekiel as he had the, the cherubim and those wheels. And so God says, Son of Man, here's the deal. I am sending you to the sons of Israel. When God sends you somewhere, what do you do? 
be, he, didn't, he didn't say, now Ezekiel, listen, I've got a mission here if you want to accept it. You know, uh, there's some options. You could go here, you could go here. Set them out. Here's why I'm sending you. <laughs> you know, now, now, that's different, we'll see in the book, from the false prophets who God did not send. <laughs> but God sent Ezekiel. And uh, so he says, I'm sending you, the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who've rebelled against me. Now you would think when you hear rebellious people, we're talking about the heathen, pagan nations. They'd be a rebellious people. Well, actually, this is the Israelites. And uh, they and their fathers, it's intergenerational. They, they've been rebelling now for a long time. They've re- transgressed against me to this very day. Uh, the, we think of Israel as being the chosen people. They're well on their way to becoming the unchosen ones here. And uh, he says, I'm sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. I take it you would not expect people like this to take kindly to a message that comes from the Lord God. When you learn how stubborn and rebellious they are, they're probably not going to want that kind of a message, right? But that's the message that Ezekiel's got, that God gave him. Now, you know, think about um, like times when churches talk to preachers, evangelists, and want them to like move there and work with them. What kind of things do they usually tell the preacher about the area? You know, can you imagine uh, somebody saying, well, listen... The people you'll be talking to are just stubborn and ornery and rebellious and hard-headed, and they won't listen. That's not usually what, what we hear about. We hear about, you know, it's a beautiful area, you know, people are really receptive, got a fine school system, you just love it. God says, you gotta hate these people. You know, they are stubborn, rebellious, hard-headed, and just don't expect much out of them. That would be really discouraging. You know, I mean, can you imagine, I mean, saying, listen, there have been quite a few preachers that have gone to this place, maybe gone to this church, and they are just stubborn, hard-headed church, and they never listen, and they treat you bad, and they just ignore you. And you're a preacher, what would you say? I think I'll, I think I'll try somewhere else. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't be where we choose to go. Who wants to fail all the time? Who wants to keep preaching and nobody hears you and nobody changes? But that's exactly what he's telling Ezekiel to do. He says, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they're a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So success for Ezekiel is not having them listen. What's success for Ezekiel? Telling them the message. That's exactly right. When Ezekiel fulfills his mission of speaking the word of the Lord to them, he has been successful. He's done what God says. There's one focus. He delivers the words of the Lord. The focus is not on the audience reaction. So we glorify God when we preach and live his message. Regardless of the response of the people we tell the word to. From people like this, who have this ingrained stubborn streak, you don't hope for much. 
There's not high expectations here. I mean, at least he's being honest with Ezekiel up front. Don't be disappointed when they don't listen. They've not been listening to me for a long, long time. So I wouldn't expect it. So, you know, what if you, uh, what if you took a city in the U.S.? I don't know how you would ever know this, but what if you had some kind of supernatural revelation and you found out there is not a single person in this city who has a humble, trusting heart that will submit to the Lord. Nobody will listen to the gospel. Should the gospel be preached in a city like that? It's a waste of time. Why would you preach to somebody like that? If you knew they weren't going to obey the gospel, if you knew nobody would listen, why would you, what, what would be the point in preaching to them? Glorify God. Obeying God. We'd obey God. Absolutely. They have had their opportunity. God is justified in condemning them because they had the chance. They will know that a prophet has been among them. God wants the word to be preached. He wants it to be preached to the people who won't listen. That is really a struggle for me. I've I've thought of this the wrong way pretty much all my life, even though I knew different. You're thinking, my thinking has always been, well, you know... I don't think this person is a good prospect. I don't really think they're going to listen or be converted. I won't bother talking to them. Who would be the person who will probably listen? That's who I want to talk to. And so it's kind of like, I've used this before. Maybe this is a good illustration, though. This is saying it from a positive sense, but I think it'll get the point across. My my dad uh, listened to old-time radio, and I think this is from that. I don't know. I heard him tell this story hundreds of times. If you knew my dad, he told the same stories a lot. Uh, but it made it, made, I remembered it really well. About this guy who's traveling down a country road in the middle of the night, and he has a flat tire. And he has a spare but no jack. And he thinks, what am I going to do? Nobody lives out here. There's nobody here. And I won't be able to find anybody with a jack. And starts trudging down the road. Pretty soon he sees a, sees a light way in the distance. He thinks, well, that's not a house. Probably a street light or something. Nobody lives down here. But as he gets a little closer, there's a house. He thinks, well, nobody be home. You know, not in a place like this. And he gets a little closer. You can see somebody through the window. There is somebody there. He thinks, you know, they wouldn't have a jack. If they didn't have a jack, they wouldn't loan it to me. At the time, he knocks on the door and the answer, he said, you just keep your old jack. Turn around and walked off. <laughs> do we ever do that with people? Now, We're saying that you ought to preach it whether they would listen or not. The fact is, we are not told whether the people we're speaking to will listen or not. But I think there are times we've decided for them they won't listen, there's no need to talk to them, and we just say, just go to hell anyhow. You know, we don't even know if they would, but even if we knew they were rebellious and wouldn't listen, they ought to be preached to anyway. That's what he's saying. Do the people of Johnson County, Indiana, know that there have been Christians among them eager to share the gospel? Do the people around where you live know that there's been a Christian among them eager to share the gospel? I'm ashamed to say 
that has not been true anywhere I've lived. There have been plenty of people around me that haven't known that because I've wimped out and haven't been speaking the message to everyone like I should. I think this is about as convicting a passage to me as any is that shows that I just not had the right focus. And, and we get in this mindset of, you know, trying to up our conversion rate statistics or something. Where, you know, we just feel like such a failure. Every time we te- try to teach somebody and they reject it, where did I go wrong? Now, can you imagine Paul getting run out of town and saying, where did I go wrong? Did he ever do that? I don't ever read about it. Jesus, you know, talking to someone and, and where did I go wrong? You know, I don't see that. What do you, what do you see? Where did they go wrong? You know, if somebody rejects the message of God, who failed? They did. What's my role? Preach it straight. Just like it says. (laughs) Now, you know, if, if we're not careful, think about what we get into doing. All right. If you preach the gospel just the way it speaks it, then your conversion rate's really low. And you feel like a failure. But we want to have more people in our church. How can we doctor the message up to where more people will like it? And more people will listen. Isn't that kind of the temptation? And so we figure out how can we make the gospel more, you know, uh, more appealing, more attractive to the people who don't like the gospel. You know, it's kind of like what they've done with baseball games and all. You go to baseball games to see everything but a baseball game, right? You know, to make baseball games for people who don't even like baseball. And people try to figure out how can we do that. That's not our goal. Our goal has nothing to do with how many people we can get converted. That depends on them. What we're responsible for is speaking the message to them. I'm going to pause here. I haven't looked at six and seven yet. I think this is so rich and important. We need to, to think about it and talk about it a little bit. Comments and thoughts? Yes. Think about Noah. And he was part of preachers like us and probably at least a hundred years. He preached and he converted. I'm sorry. Great point. Yeah. Uh, very discouraging for Noah. It would have been depressing for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Once Yeah, wow. Think about it from the standpoint of these listeners who have such a hard heart. That's a dangerous place to get in. Are we humble, sensitive people who really listen? What the Lord say about us, uh, they're hard-hearted. You know, they're not likely to listen. They're a rebellious house. That's a good point. Tyler. This displays one of the things about the concept that a God who clearly needs no messenger has, is asking these people to carry his message shows not only the importance of the message that is to be carried, but also how much faith God puts in his people, in this case Ezekiel, to carry that message. Um, and that, you know, is something that I think could easily become a bad attitude because you can become prideful in it, but it, it sh- it's an inherent level of worth that God places in Yes. God blesses us by using us. 
Yes, Jake. <laughs> then we'll use terms like fruitful or fruitless, and then we'll look at Jesus saying, you know, go into the towns, preach the gospel, and for those who don't listen, wipe your sandals from it, leave the town. We look at that, those passages, and we look at the fruit that needs to, we need to bear in conversations that we have, and we look at, we need to season our words with salt, and, and, and everything that we, we, we end up concocting this view, and I'm certainly guilty of it, of, well, if I don't think, if I don't think it's going to be fruitful, if I don't think they're going to listen, then I'm just going to go ahead and, like, pre-wipe my sandals and go ahead <laughs> I don't think it's going to be fruitful, and we're called to be fruitful people. Everything we do needs to be fruitful. And uh, I think, that, uh, you know, we go ahead and look at a person in the little bit that we've interacted with them and not haven't even preached the gospel yet and decide, that, decide for them that they're not going to listen. And maybe we have to change our view of what fruitful is. Right. You know, are we fruitful if we faithfully speak to mess, the message to rebellious people who don't listen? Yes, I think we are. And I think that's what God wants us to do. Yeah. John. Yes. We plant the seed, we don't create the growth, the development, and all that. It's exactly right. So our goal is to teach people the message God gave. Our goal is not to figure out how to get them to want it, receive, and accept it. We want them to. We love them and care about them. But we understand all we can do is teach them. We don't control their response. Yes. Yeah, you know, the truth of the matter is, when you think about what it takes to be a disciple, there are not all that many people willing to pay the price to be a disciple. Because to be, to be a disciple, I have to put the Lord above my husband or wife and everything else in my life. Whether that demands in my situation that I leave my unscriptural relationship or not, I still must serve the Lord above everything else. And that's a challenging thing. There are a lot of people who are rebellious and they don't want to submit to God at that level. They still, we still need to speak the message to them. Yes, sit. Thank you. 
Good point. Yes. It's easy when a lot of people rebel to just kind of become um, almost uh, resentful and embittered toward people. It's amazing that the Lord never gets to that point. He still loves and he still reaches out. So he's our model in that. Yes, Brian. Yeah. Great point. Jake. Just one last thing that I got from this the, the sower is he scatters the seed. He doesn't, you know, pick and choose where to plot the seed, you know. And, and that's how they did it. They, they just, you know, that's what they did. You, know, you just throw it over. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. No matter what their response is going to be, they will decide that, Joe. exactly right. Uh, and, and look at verse 6. I mean, you son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. He says, now thorns, thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. It is a painful, uncomfortable experience to preach to people like this. It's, it's hard to preach to people who don't want to listen to you. It hurts your feelings because they reject what you're saying. They, they resent it. Uh, and, and, and you really see almost this antagonism they have toward the Lord. Um, and, and so, uh, God, God is, uh, sending him here, not because it's easy, but because the job's to be done. And, and, and perhaps it's going to be somewhat easier that he knows ahead of time what the reaction is going to be. But basically he says, you can't be afraid. You have to ignore their reaction and just preach. Your determination to speak the message has to be stronger than their determination to reject it. So, I mean, if you looked at percentages at the end of Jesus' life, how many people apparently had received his message after all that he'd done? You look at Paul, city after city after city. How did it go for him? I haven't been out, run out of one town, a church or two, but not one town. You know why? In part because I haven't preached it. Got run out of one church because of that, because I did. But I haven't done it very often. It wasn't it. 
Faithful Church. It was a group that uh, were not happy with our knocking on doors and teaching their members. But, but you know, if we were more bold, if I was more bold, I think there'd be a lot more opposition. But I know that. I don't want that opposition. I don't want to feel rejected. I don't want people to look at me and think, oh, there's that guy who always talks about the word of the Lord. That's what we need to be willing to deal with and, and to receive. He says, you know, you shall speak my words to them whether they listen or not for their rebellions. So Ezekiel just hadn't really been given by the Lord the option of choosing the audience or the message. You know, uh, he just says, he basically, he presents it in a take it or leave it way. You know, don't, don't, um, you know, don't, don't do anything other than just speak it. So, when it's all said and done, we cannot base our sense of fulfilling the mission on what, how they respond. It doesn't matter how they respond. That's not our job. We are doing what God wants us to do when we speak. Like it says. No, no changes, no alterations, no, you know, making it, sweetening it up or making it any, sound any better. Just preach it like it is. That's our role. Thoughts and comments? Brandon. Yes. So we need to be prepared and we're afraid of maybe losing the argument. I might suggest this. Think about this one a little bit. Every once in a while, we're just afraid we're not going to convince them. Well, is that our job? Preach and teach the truth. We feel like we failed when they didn't agree with us. Well, it's not our job to make them agree with us. I'm not against the idea of helping them see the way of God more perfectly and showing why what they're saying is wrong. I think we need to do that. But we don't necessarily do that to their satisfaction. I see people a lot of times who who they feel like they haven't done the right thing because the other person didn't believe it. Well, these guys aren't going to believe it. That's not because Ezekiel didn't teach it. It's because they didn't have an open heart. There are going to be plenty of people that we're going to teach who aren't going to agree with us. And, and, and they're going to reject our message and we're like, where did I fail? Where did I fail? What did I say wrong? What, what argument do I need to change? No. 
there were plenty of people who didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God after hearing his message. It's not up to us to convince people. It's up to us to speak the message. I think that's an important distinction because I think we put pressure on ourselves to make them believe. And if we think they won't, we don't want to try it because we don't want to fail again. That's this point. Failure is not announcing the word of the Lord. Failure is not them not accepting it. That's their failure, not yours. Johnny. Right. Yeah. Good. Good thought, Clint. And we can search the scriptures and find out details about how God wants us to speak it. Certainly the attitude we ought to have when we speak it. But ultimately, like you said, if Jesus didn't convert them all, well, who failed in that one? You know, so ultimately our responsibility is to speak the message. Uh, We speak it with conviction and with love and with humility but we speak the message Brian it's really helped me appreciate like, how far I am from really understanding God's love because it seems like Ezekiel if he did get uncomfortable he should reflect back on what he had seen and the image of God's glory reflecting on God's love for his people could drive him to continue you know, so it's like failure ought to compel me to focus more on God's love and I focus on myself, and I think that's my problem, is when, I, when I'm afraid, I'm focusing on myself and not the glory of the Lord. Yes. I'm focusing on myself and not the love of God that's striving to be exercised through me. And it's, it's that reveals pride, which I can either respond <coughs> by indulging in that pride and staying afraid, or I can strive more fully to focus on the love of God and be compelled forward. Amen. Good point. Joe? I don't know if you agree. If we're looking for a parallel situation in our own lives, we have Ezekiel talking to what should be God's people, not the world. Does it become even more difficult then when we think about talking to rebellious brethren? Would that be a good application here to think about? Would that be more fearful, more difficult? Yes. Maybe it is. Yes, because you would hope and expect the brethren to be responsive as you would have expected Israel to be responsive. And so, yeah, that's probably true. It it may take more courage to teach the truth to people that are brethren that you're expecting will listen than it does to the pagans you're not expecting to anyway. Jake? Uh, On the flip side of the ones who reject the message, um, not just the messenger, but God, 
his message. Uh, the, the, the people who were pricked in their hearts by Peter's sermon and acts, um, you know, was it just the word or just Peter that did the pricking? Or did their hearts have to be a certain way for them to be pricked? You know, did the word in and of itself soften the hearts and then prick it? Or did it, you know, did it require, so I'd say, you know, the, the, along the lines of, you know, it's up to, it's not the failure of God, and it's not the failure of the messenger um, if the word does not have fruit in somebody's life, if the word does not prick somebody's heart, because the heart has to be a certain way. So that in and of itself, evidence is a proof that it's not just the word. Or another way of looking at it, in Acts 7, they were also pricked in their heart, Stone Stephen. Right. The message often <coughs> cuts now, what we do with that really depends on our heart at that point. That's another way of, of uh, saying the same thing. Yes, many. Well, what a relief this is in so many ways. It's difficult enough to talk to someone and, and try to do it in the best way and present the word of the Lord. What a relief to know I'm not responsible for how they respond. I can just practice uh, speaking the word and focus on the glory of God. And I don't have to worry about the rest of it. Exactly. I think that's it. I think it's important for Ezekiel to see that. Can you imagine how neurotic Ezekiel would have become if he had felt like he had to get them to believe and obey it? How would you do that? You know, so that would just be an impossible situation. God's letting them know up front, no, they're not going to listen. Now, that's a bummer, and you've got to be courageous, and it's tough to be rejected all the time. But on the other hand, you're not at fault. They've been rebellious for a long, long time. Nothing's going to change at this point. So, yeah, Austin. I think another type of fear is discomfort. That if you look around this room today, we go, well, there's people who are Amen. Exactly. This is not for us. This is for the Lord. Amen. Excellent point. That's exactly right. We just are the servant. We're the instrument. And let God do his work. Amen. Very good. Excellent comments. Yes, Nathan.
It is important to model it. We live it and we teach it. Amen. Excellent comments. Excellent discussion. And I'm glad to have it on this point. I think we need to meditate on this. We'll get further opportunity. Chapter 3 will tell us a lot more along the same line. And so that'll be helpful to us. I think we're going to take a break here. But let me give you some instructions before you do that. I don't have many. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, but...